Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Well, praise God. Did anybody have anything during worship that you saw or wanted to share? So when we were worshiping, I just saw the, um, the skies open up, and I saw these droplets of water, but they weren't water. They were sapphires, like sapphire stones just dropping to the earth. And I, I looked up and turned my eyes, and I saw the sun, and the sun started you know, glaring with yellow beams and everything through that. And I looked in, I saw the actual grass of it just being green as green and just looked at the, at the sands of the earth as being orange and seeing just the, the blood just being, you know, being red as rubies and just, just the communal of the ocean just being deep as purple and stuff like that. And it just, we were singing that last song, it kind of clicked and it just made the sense of thinking of just again about the promises that he did when he flooded the earth and he just gave the actual rainbow over the earth and said, yeah, that I, I, this is my covenant and stuff, just like you were just saying, Chris, and stuff like that, that all of creation is a sign of his covenant that's, you know, that he created this world for us and stuff like that. And when we look into all of creation that, you know, he's all around and stuff like that from the stars to the sound, you know, to the, to the beaches, to the oceans, to the hilltops, everything is his, and it's his domain, and he is just God, and just it's just something that just, I don't know, it's just a really interesting thought process, and just to sit there and think that other people claim it as theirs, but it's not, it's his, and that he wants to give this to us, and that, you know, it's through the blood of Yeshua that we have that ability to walk into that covenant and be there, so... Um, I don't know, just a little personal moment for me and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you, Ben. Uh, when you were talking about all the colors and just the brilliance, you know, within that even, there's a renewal. Uh, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yes, I had, um, during the blessing, uh, I just felt I saw a, it's almost like a funeral service, and then that song was being sung in memorial for uh, everybody in the casket. But as, as that song was being sung, though, I felt like the, uh, the Spirit of the Lord just woke the people up out of the casket, and they got up, and they started dancing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just felt like there's things that maybe we thought that, that, have, that are dead and that aren't ours and are out of touch. And I think God's just going to bring and breathe new life into, into what we feel like we've lost. Um, and so I just want to go ahead and encourage people with that. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. Thank you, Jared. That totally, uh, totally fits. I felt like, uh, I feel like the message today is hope for a new day and that restoration is coming. <laughs> and so it's like, Ben, what you're sharing, Jared, what you're sharing, right in line with that. Amen. Anyone else? 
I didn't understand it, so I left the room. I thought, no, if it's not for you, I'm not saying this, God. I don't understand, so I don't think it is. But after hearing this, it's First, it's first Samuel chapter 22. And as he's saying, they're being awakened. People are being awakened. They're coming out of the coffins, but they're going to need something. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them, and they were with him, and about 400 men. Men have to rise up because they're going to be coming to looking to people that are carrying God's word. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. All right, so this week our portion is Nitzavim, okay, which is your standing. And it's a really short portion. We'll end up reading most of it. It's, uh, I really enjoy this one because I, I really like Deuteronomy 30. Um, not that I don't like other parts of the Bible. They're good, too. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, but, you know, I was thinking on what, it, what do we have in this portion. We have, we have renewal of the covenant, and then we have pictures of a falling away followed by a redemption. Right, so there's renewal of the covenant, there's an exile after a falling away, but then there is still the redemption that is to come, and there's a faithfulness, a restoration, uh, a restoration to the covenant. Um, so as we mentioned before, I feel like part of the messages are that restoration is coming, right, and that there is hope for a new day. And within all of this, the reason why we can have hope for a new day and know the restoration is coming is simply because God is faithful to his word, to his covenants and his promises, right? I mean, there, there is no end to his faithfulness. Uh, so I want to start reading in Deuteronomy 29, verse 9. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. You are standing today, all of you, before the Lord your God, the heads of your tribes, your elders, and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and the sojourner who is in your camp, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water, so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today, that he may establish you today as his people, and that he may be your God as he promised you, and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. It is not with you alone that I am making this sworn covenant. And I think I may have stopped before I wanted to. So I'm going to keep going. Um, or maybe, okay, you know, it is. Um, it says, not with you alone do I seal this covenant and this imprecation, but with whoever is here today standing with us, Whoever is with us here, standing with us today before the Lord our God, and with, who, with whoever is not here with us today. Okay, so, so when Moses is speaking to Israel about the renewal of the covenant, he had called everyone together, everyone who was with them at the time. You see in the list here of you're standing here, the heads of your tribes, your elders, your small children, your, your women, the stranger who lives among you, and even your servants, the choppers of wood and the hewers and the drawers of water. And then he says, now, this covenant is being established with you today. And then he goes on to say, but it's with whoever is here standing with us 
and with whoever is not here with us today. Right? Which, that ought to make us say, well, what's he really talking about when he says, who is it that's not standing with us today? And it goes back to even the, the understanding of who was present at Mount Sinai when the covenant was established. Well, it was all it was all the souls of the Jewish people for all generations to come were there present at Sinai such that they, they too were entering into the covenant. Okay. And this is part of the aspect of covenants pass on from generation to generation, right? And it's, I mean, it goes along with God's faithfulness to, from generation to generation, but it goes also too to the idea that as people who are faithful to God, who follow him, it's our responsibility to train up the next generations because they come into the covenant and now we have to teach them to walk within it, right? Uh, Jewish boys are circumcised on the eighth day to signify that they are coming into the, the Abrahamic covenant, right? That they are part of the family of the nation of Israel. And then they go through their training as young children until they reach the age of accountability, right? Learning how do we walk in the ways of the Lord so that when the day comes when I must stand firm and be held accountable for how I act before him, that they will be ready to do so. In our society today, uh, it's, it's taught that, well, in many circles, there's the idea that, well, you can't uh, force your religion on your children you know, you need to let them choose their way, figure out their way. But that's not exactly how things work. Because when you, when you enter into a covenant with the Lord, it's not just you who enter into covenant with the Lord, but all the offspring who will come forth from you. For those who are present with you today and those who are not present with you today, because they are actually present with you, contained within your, within your life, within your body, you contain the potential for all the generations to come, right? Which is amazing to think when we think about our legacy, when we think about the responsibility that we bear to uphold the future generations and to train them up. But so, so when Moses was calling all the people together, he was calling the children of Israel, he was calling the stranger, who dwelled among them, and even their servants. Because within the Torah, God's word is a light to all. And within his Torah, there are expectations that he has and, respond, and expectations for how the people in his midst will live their life. All right? So everyone needed to be present to hear. Everyone needed to realize that, yes, this is a national covenant, but within it, there are individual responsibilities as well. So the nation must live up to the expectation and the individuals within the covenant live up to the expectation. And some of this is revealed in, in what we'll read in just a little bit in Deuteronomy 29, uh, continuing. But before we get there, I, I did want to talk a little bit about how the covenants persist throughout time and pass on from generation to generation because, you know, I made the statement of these covenants pass on and it's our responsibility to train people up in them, train our children up in them. 
And the covenant is renewed day by day, right? God's mercies are renewed every morning. Our relationship with Him is to be renewed continually. But the covenant does pass on. The covenants do not end. If you, th- if you think about what Paul said, um, he was speaking about the Torah. It came 430 years after God's promise to Abraham. And the Torah, which came 430 years later, did not nullify the promise and the covenant that God had made with Abraham before. Right? That's from Galatians 3.17. So the covenants endured. And even when Ben was talking about God's covenant with Noah, right? that he, he would set his bow in the sky and said, I will not destroy all man with a flood again. You know, that covenant endures. These don't go away. And there's a great example of covenants enduring, even covenants between men here in the Bible. Um, let's go to Joshua 9. When the children of Israel were going into the land, God had told them, do not make any covenants with the people who dwell in the land. Rather, you shall drive them all out from before you. You will conquer them, and the people will not be a snare to you. But after Joshua came in and the children of Israel destroyed Jericho, you know, the, the people began to fear even more greatly. The Canaanites were fearful. And so the inhabitants of Gibeon came up with a plan. So let's read about that here, Joshua 9, 3. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and, torn, and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn-out and torn and mended, with worn-out patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes, and all their provisions were dry and, and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hevites, Perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? They said to him, From a very distant country your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon the king of Heshbon and to Og the king of Bashan who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals, sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of the provisions but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. Okay, so then what happens after that is three days go by and the children of Israel find out, wait a minute, these actually are inhabitants of the land that we are coming to conquer and they have acted deceitfully and caused us to enter into this covenant. But the leaders of the children of Israel said, no, we have to uphold our word. We have to uphold our vow to them. We cannot act against it. And so, I mean, the people were pretty angry with their leaders, right? But, but despite that, they said, no, this covenant stands. Even a covenant that was made under false pretenses, interestingly enough, right? And so God, who acts with faithfulness, who cannot lie, establishes a covenant 
that covenant is going to endure. And it's totally valid if even a covenant made between men under false pretenses remains valid. Fascinating enough. Now, you might think, okay, well, so the children of Israel just needed to wait about 40 years, wait for this generation to pass away. Then they could go smite the Gibeonites, drive them out, and do exactly what God said, right? I mean, because, you know, he only made the covenant with these people. Or was it with the descendants of the people as well, right? And the Bible actually gives us the answer to that. Because in 2 Samuel 21, we find that there was a fan Okay, I'll, I'll read. In 2 Samuel 21, verse 1, Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David sought the face of the Lord. And the Lord said, There is blood guilt on Saul and on his house, because he put the Gibeonites to death. Okay, so I'll just pause there. So Saul, you know, when he was going through and doing his battles, he went and, and struck down the Gibeonites. Right? He did not uphold the covenant that had been made like 300 years earlier between Joshua and the Gibeonites. And now God says, the reason why I have withheld rain from the land is because Saul has violated the covenant that was made. So, the king called, so David, the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the people of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. Although the people of Israel had sworn to spare them, as we read in Joshua, Saul, Saul had sought to strike them down in his zeal for the people of Israel and Judah. And David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you, and how shall I make atonement that you may bless the heritage of the Lord? The Gibeonites said to him, It is not a matter of silver or gold between us and Saul or his house, neither is it uh, for us to put any man to death in Israel. And he said, what do you say that I shall do for you? They said to the king, The man who consumed us and planned to destroy us so that we should have no place in all the territory of Israel, let seven of his sons be given to us so that we may hang them before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the chosen of the Lord. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of, the son of Saul's son Jonathan, because of the oath of the Lord that was between them between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. The king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of... Actually, I'm just going to skip on. So they, they put them to death. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, when we see here, this generation passed, I mean, this covenant passed from generation to generation without each subsequent generation saying, we have to renew this. Instead, it was one that would stand. And God, God upheld it. So it was still effect. David had to make restitution. So it was, it was to, it was essentially yeah, the death of these men was a payment for the blood guilt of Saul. Unless I misunderstand something. He gave them into the hands of the Gibeonites and they hanged them on the mountain before the Lord. And so in that, there was a No, Saul was not alive. Right. Well, yeah, they did say that. So if we back up just one slide here. Okay, let's see. 
Let seven of Saul's sons be given to us, right? Um, Not anymore. So where, Diego? One more? Okay. The man who consumed us and planned to destroy us was Saul. Right, so, so Saul had consumed them and planned to destroy them. And so they said, give us seven of his sons that we may hang them. So it, it seems more sacrificial, but so the Gibeonites put them to death, right? right. And uh, but no, I mean, yeah, it would not be like sacrifice, no. But um, yeah, yeah. In in a way, it was the justice. Yeah, yeah. Measure for measure, as Diego just said. So I mean, it probably was not completely measure for measure, but the king said, "What shall we do?" to make things right in your eyes. And they said, we don't want your gold. We don't want your silver. What we want is some retribution. And so, so he said, okay, this is what you've asked for, for retribution, such, such that you will consider reconciliation, restitution to have been made within the covenant. Then that's what will be done. Right? And so he gave them over. Right, yeah, uh, you could have the avenger of blood to pursue someone who had slain within the land of Israel. That's true. Yeah, no, yeah. so yeah, that, that is a good, good point. But yeah, so essentially within this, right, within a covenant, as we've spoken of before, the covenant is kind of governing a relationship between two parties, right? And there are terms within the covenant. If they are not upheld, then there are curses and consequences. You know, and so then if it's not upheld, part of the curse and consequence is that, you know, uh, well, bad things are going to happen, so we see rain was not coming. But then there's always a way to bring reconciliation between the parties. Now, the reconciliation between the parties, it's what is it going to look like? And so, yeah, that comes within the parties. Um, it's usually also going to be a result of, I guess, what broke the covenant. Like, for, in this instance, could death be. broke the covenant. So, therefore, death was a, was a retro, you know, something to restore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I don't just, yeah. And, and there was a time when uh, Abraham had made a covenant with... Uh, can't remember who it was, but he had made Abimelech, and there was a time when some of his wells had been taken, when Abraham's wells had been taken, and so they had to reconcile, what are we going to do with this, and that's where you had the, the oath at, at Beersheba, right? So there's, there are deals that are made, that are made, that create peace and put the covenant back in right standing to where it can then move forward. Um, so in this case, it was the Israel giving over seven men of Saul and then the Gibeonites hanging them and saying, okay, now we're good. Right. Um, okay, so, okay, so the covenants continue. 
That was a long way of saying the covenants continue. <laughs> yes. All right. Now, let's keep going forward in Deuteronomy 29 in verse 15. Actually, you know what? The numbers are off. Uh, it's the whole thing. It always throws me off. Numbering between Christian Bibles and Jewish Bibles. So, here we go. Um, let's start in verse 16 here. For you know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. Moreover, you have seen their abominations and their idols of wood, stone, silver, and gold which they had with them. Okay, I'm going to read from this other translation. You can follow along above. But perhaps there is among you a man or a woman or a family or tribe whose heart turns away today from being with the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Perhaps there is among you a root flourishing with gall and wormwood. And it will be that when he hears the words of this imprecation, he will bless himself in his heart, saying, Peace will be with me, though I walk as my heart sees fit, thereby adding the watered upon the thirsty. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, for then the Lord's anger and jealousy will smoke against that man. And the entire imprecation written in this book will come down upon him, and the Lord will erase his name from under the heavens. The Lord will set him aside for evil from among all the tribes of Israel, like all the imprecations of this covenant that is written in this book of the Torah. So there's a warning about the nation or even individuals within the nation turning away from the commandment and saying, I will have peace even though I walk in my own way because I will benefit from the righteousness of those around me, which is the interesting part of what this person is pulling from. He's saying, God said this nation is blessed. It's in covenant. He's going to pour out blessing on them. Everyone else is acting righteously around me. Surely I can do my own, and God will not wipe me away because of his love for them and goodness for them. So it's a very self-centered attitude that the Torah is, is pointing out here. Someone is going their own way, expecting the goodness of someone else just to cover over all their sins. Right? And we, we won't go into it here, but this passage is actually, it runs parallel to uh, the incident of Sodom and Gomorrah when Abraham was interceding for for those cities, when God came and said, I'm going to destroy these towns, and Abraham says, well, surely you won't destroy the righteous along with the wicked. Surely you won't sweep them away, but you surely would spare the wicked for the sake of the righteous. Right? And so that's what this person is doing. They're saying, oh, well, Abraham said, surely God would spare the wicked for the sake of the righteous, and if this nation is righteous and holy, I should be spared. Fascinating, right? Whereas the nation of Israel was to be a blessing to all nations. Through their righteousness, they were to be a blessing. It wasn't supposed to be through the righteousness of the nations. They would be passed over in their wickedness. Do you all see the, 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 the difference there? And as a, as a side note, you know, when John, John the Immerser came, he was calling out to Israel and saying, don't, don't say for yourself, we have Abraham as a father. You know, but instead produce fruit in keeping with repentance, right? Because the righteousness of Abraham is not such that you can walk in wickedness and unrepentance, right? But you need to actually walk in righteousness and produce 
and produce fruit in keeping with repentance. It's the same way with Yeshua. Do we say, oh, we've got Yeshua as our Savior, so therefore I can walk however I want because His righteousness covers all my wickedness. It's like, that is not right. <laughs> right. We're, to, we're to produce fruit in keeping with repentance, trusting in His righteousness, but also walking out in a righteousness that is consistent with His. Just as God is saying here that the one who says that they're going to walk according to their own way, seeking their own purposes, will come to destruction. Even to the point where He says the latter generation will say, will rise up and look and say, why did God do all of this? You know, just looking at the destruction, and they liken it to Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, now, in verse 23, the nations will say, For what reason did the Lord do this to the land? Why this wrathfulness of great anger? And they will say, Because they forsook the covenant of the Lord their God, the God of their forefathers, that he sealed with them when he took them out of the land of Egypt. And they went and served the gods of others and prostrated themselves to them, gods that they knew not, and he did not apportion to them. So God's anger flared against the land to bring upon it the entire curse that is written in this book. And the Lord removed them, the children of Israel, from upon their soil with anger, with wrath, and with great fury. And he cast them to another land as this very day. So here we have the forsaking of the covenant, the not walking faithful to it, resulting in exile and desecration of the land. Um, within the scriptures there was a warning, you know, d when you go into the land, don't do as the children of the land have done, for the land will vomit you out. Well, that's exactly what's being described here. Because what's spoken of in this passage is all these things that God is doing to the land and afflicting the land and then sending the people out from it. So the land actually spits the people out into exile. Okay. Now the good news is that after the exile comes redemption. Right? I know. It's like, Chris, I thought you said this was a message of hope. Where's the hope? Oh, yeah, time out. No. <laughs> no, there's hope, right? Because the very next thing that we go into is Deuteronomy 30. Okay. In verse 1. Of Deuteronomy 30, So it shall be when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul, according to all that I command you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it, and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, so that you may live. See, that's an encouragement right there. That despite the exile, despite the scattering, God will bring his children back. And so how does it all work, right? How does this return work? Well, there's many, many layers within it. But, you know, each week we're reading, well, every day we're reading Psalm 27, right? And so each week we've added that to our, our prayers in the morning. 
And we've spoken about this too. We've, we've been going through seven weeks of consolation, right? reading the book of Isaiah, leading up to Rosh Hashanah. So we're, we're in a time of repentance and a time of consolation and encouragement that the exile will come to an end, that redemption will come. And we're building up to this uh, practice run of the coronation of the king at Yom Tru and Rosh Hashanah, right? which we're going to be celebrating Sunday night. And within it, okay, so Psalm 27 was chosen to read in this, in this time uh, for going alongside the idea of repentance. But yet within Psalm 27, repentance is actually not spoken of directly. That's kind of interesting, right? That you'd think, okay, these are the days of repentance. We're reading a psalm. Maybe Psalm 51 would be the most obvious choice of what psalm we might read, right? Speaking of one who's wanting a new, clean heart before God and asking for forgiveness. But Psalm 27, that's what we're reading. But Psalm 27 teaches a different way of combating sin, not apart from repentance, but alongside it. It's essentially looking to prevent sin even in the first place. Okay? Because what, what David talks about in Psalm 27 is having a desire to behold God in his temple and to dwell in his temple and just to have his entire focus being on God and service to God. And someone who is preoccupied with that doesn't have a lot of room for straying away, right? And so when we're in this season of repentance, we're also in the season of saying, how do I draw to, how do I keep my focus singularly on the Lord so that your face, O Lord, I may seek, right? And to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our life, to gaze on his beauty. Now, interestingly, so, you know, Psalm 27 starts out, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Well, from, uh, from the Midrash, from Vayikra, Rabbah, they note, God is my light on Rosh Hashanah, and God is my salvation on Yom Kippur. So that's pretty cool, right? He's my light on Rosh Hashanah, calling me to repentance. And after perceiving the light and the truth on Rosh Hashanah, the soul yearns to repent fully and to be completely cleansed of sin. But this complete cleansing of sin requires special divine assistance, which God will provide on the Day of Atonement. So that's pretty cool, right? Because the cleansing, yeah, can only come from God. Now, the Vilna Gaon, okay, that's not actually his name. But Vilna Gaon, okay, Gaon means a genius, and then Vilna is a city. So Vilna Gaon, if you ever see a quote from him, no, that's not his name. Instead, he's referred to as the genius of Vilna. I don't actually know his name. But Vilna Gaon, okay, said, salvation denotes assistance which is provided to someone who is unable to help himself. That's pretty cool to think of, right? So you think, and because how much does that tie in to what we know about what we have through Yeshua, whose very name is salvation, is that it is only by his grace that we can be cleansed and purified and have everlasting life. And we are unable to help ourselves. <laughs> it's only by his grace and what he's accomplished. And he becomes the source of our life's strength, our light and our salvation. 
Now, a couple of other interesting, interesting things with tying this to the High Holy Days and the preparation for it is in the scripture when it says that he will hide me in his tabernacle uh, and set my feet high upon a rock and I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy in his temple, right? Well, he will hide me in his sukkah, okay? And then it, and it says, in his tent I will sacrifice with offerings of teruah. Well, yom teruah, right? Teruah being the, the shout or the joyful noise or the sound of a shofar as we will, as we will make on Rosh Hashanah. So there's several things within Psalm 27 that, that tie to this. There's even one point where um, right at the very end, uh, the word, uh, it's uh, lule, I believe. Anyway, but it's a little spelled backwards. Huh. So there's several things that tie Psalm 27 into a little repentance Rosh Hashanah, Sukkot, but all of it is really the desire to dwell in God's presence and to have our eyes fixed on Him and to offer praises to Him with no other distractions and believing that we would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, right? Believing that that restoration will come, that we will dwell within His Sukkah, right? And that will be coming in the end of days. Okay, um, <clears throat> all right. So let's keep going here and looking to the return of Yeshua. So let's go to, so we're talking about Yeshua's coming. Let's go to Hosea, Hosea 5, 14. Okay. For I, <clears throat> for I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear to pieces and go away I will carry away, and there will be none to, liver, to deliver. I will go away and return to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. <clears throat> and actually, I read something out of order. Hmm. Let me, let me, uh, let me, <laughs> see, I should follow my arrows. Okay, Isaiah 63, 7 through 9. Let me read this, because it comes from the end of our, of our haftra. <clears throat> I shall make mention of the loving kindnesses of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has granted them according to his compassion and according to the abundance of his loving kindness. For he said, Surely they are my people, sons who will not deal falsely. So he became their Savior. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them, and he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. The loving kindnesses of the Lord, right? And his goodness was to send a Savior, to become the Savior, and to be afflicted as in all the ways that his children were afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. His very image on earth saved him. And he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. And so then, what I was going to do is, when we read in, Isaiah, in Hosea 5, 14 through 15, I think we actually see a picture of Yeshua uh, suffering. Now, hopefully someone else has seen this. Surely they have. No, there's nothing new, right? But um, 
basically when I, when I see this, he says, I will tear to pieces and go away, and I will carry away, and that carry away, and I will lift up. I will be lifted up. Okay, so there's this aspect of I will be torn, I will go away, and I will be lifted up, and there will be none to deliver. That's a picture of exile. Okay, with if you think about this as being Yeshua, okay, being torn, going away, and being lifted up into the heavens, I will go away and return to my place in the heavens until they, the children of Israel, acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. And in their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. Right? So last week we talked about how affliction comes, and that actually is for the purpose of redemption, to turn hearts back to the Lord. And so in the affliction, hearts turn back to God and recognize guilt and then cry out to God for the deliverer who is awaiting the return. So then if we carry on in Hosea 6, verse 1, the children of Israel say, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he is torn, but he will heal us. Now here, note in this, in this passage up on the screen, the us is in italics because it's not in the Hebrew. It's just what the translator said, well, this makes sense to add us. But the scripture says, For he is torn, but he will heal us. He has wounded, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days, and he will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. Okay? So... If we continue in this thought about Hosea 5.14, speaking of Yeshua, torn, being lifted up, and the heavens awaiting, okay? And so, come let us return to the Lord, for he has torn him, but he will heal us. He has wounded him, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days, and he will raise, up, raise us up on the third day. This is the picture of the, of the uh, resurrection, it's, how the number th it's one of the reasons the number three is tied to resurrection. Now, think about this further. Before the Lord, a day is as a thousand years. A thousand years is a day. So for after, after 2,000 years, he will revive us. And on the third year, on the next thousand years, we will live before him. Okay? How long ago did Yeshua die? 2,000 years ago. And then what's coming when he returns? A thousand-year reign. So after two days, he may revive us, and then he will raise us up on that third day, and we will live before him. It's pretty cool, right? And it's through him being torn, our healing comes, his wounding, our bandaging. Even in our death, we will yet live. In verse 2, did they add the us? Also? Uh, yes. So he is wounded. Us was added. So he is wounded, but he will bandage us. And the us, so, so they, it's for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has wounded, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. And he will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. So, pretty cool thought, right, of that restoration that is coming. Now, we're kind of running short on time, so I'm going to uh, go through I don't know, a few more things. Ah, let's, let's keep going. Ezekiel 36, 24. We're just going to eat lunch after this anyway. Okay. <laughs> You'll just work up your appetite even more. Okay. But so, so God's plan, of course, is this restoration that he brings about through his son Yeshua, 
right? Because God is faithful to bring forth his promises and his covenants. And in Ezekiel 36, he speaks about this transformation that he's going to bring. Ezekiel 36, 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my, be my people and I will be your God. So here in Ezekiel 36, he's talking about this renewal of the covenant. He's talking about this new heart that's given, which is very much like what we read in Deuteronomy 30 when he said, I will circumcise your heart and you will live before me, right? He will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. That's exactly what we're seeing here in Ezekiel 36. Okay, so let's go back to Deuteronomy 30 since I just did go there. And we'll pick up in verse 8. So you shall return and listen to the voice of the Lord and perform all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord will make you abundant in all your handiwork and the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your animals, and the fruit of your land for good when the Lord will return to rejoice over you for good. He will re you hear that? The Lord will return to rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your forefathers, when you listen to the voice of the Lord your God to observe his commandments and his decrees that are written in this book of the Torah, when you shall return to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So within this restoration is exactly what we read in Ezekiel, that when God brings back the captivity of his children and he restores their hearts and circumcises it, he's going to enable them to keep all the commandments of the Torah because the Torah, the covenant, continues and moves forward through all the generations. Despite the exile, despite the trials, despite all of this, the covenant still stands and God's promises still are upheld. And he will bring his children back and make it so that they can walk in all of his ways. To, to love him with all their heart, all their soul, and all their strength. And, and then we'll, we'll read it, just a few more verses and I'm going to wrap up. In uh, Deuteronomy 30, verse 11, For this commandment that I command you today, it is not hidden from you, and it is not distant. It is not in heaven for you to say, Who can ascend to the heaven for us to take it for us, so that we can listen to it and perform it? Nor is it across the sea for you to say, Who can cross to the other side of the sea for us and take it for us, so that we can listen to it and perform it? Rather, the matter is very near to you, in your mouth and in your heart to perform it. See, I have placed before you today the life and the good and the death and the evil, that which I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to observe his commandments, his decrees, and his ordinances. Then you will live and you will multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land to which you come to possess it. Okay? And then just wrapping up here in, in verse, uh, verse 19 and 20, I call heaven and earth today to bear witness against you. I have placed life and death before you, blessing and curse. And you shall choose life so that you will live, you and your offspring, to love the Lord your God, to listen to his voice and to cleave to him. For he is your life and the length of your days to dwell upon the land that the Lord swore to your forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. So God has given us the path of life. And that path of life is faithfulness to him, just as Yeshua said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments.
right? And he was always pointing people back to the Father, looking to the Father, return to the covenant, walk in faithfulness. And in the end, that prepares the way for the Lord, as I know we've said multiple times. But it prepares us for what is said in Ezekiel 37, verses 24 to 28, when God says, My servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd. They will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them. They will live on the land that I gave to Jacob, my servant, in which your fathers lived, and they will live on it. They and their sons and their sons' sons forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it will be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place also will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. See, this is part of the fulfilling of what we're reading about in Psalm 27. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the, of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. Right? And He will dwell with His people. This is the preparation that we're doing in our hearts to prepare the way for the return of Yeshua. Right? And all within it, there's repentance. It's a wholeheartedness to seek His face, to live unto Him, and to see the restoration taking place in our lives individually and in the nations. And it's the beauty of God and His faithfulness to all generations that He will accomplish it for His name's sake, out of His mercy, kindness, and compassion. And uh, yeah, so we look to the return of Yeshua. And as we come in to celebrate on, sun, on Monday night, we're celebrating the soon and coming king and his coronation and his reign and this third day when we are revived to live with him for the thousand years. Amen. All right, so uh, let me say a quick prayer and then Jared's going to come up. Lord, we bless you and we give you praise. We look to your restoration. We thank, we thank you for the dawning of a new day. And as we sang earlier and Chelsea talked about, Lord, we come in thanksgiving. No matter what we see going on around us, Lord, we know that your word is true and your faithfulness endures forever. So we give thanks because we believe that we will see your goodness in the land of the living. So we wait for you. We wait expectantly for you. And we call out and we say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we prepare our hearts that we might prepare the way for our soon and coming King. We thank you and give you praise in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas. Thank you.